All right then. Uh, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Tafcast, where we ignore the warning labels, remove the side panel and reveal the inner workings of the machine that is Unitaf. I'm joined today as always by fellow staff member James. A special guest star uh, is Strange and our moderator, moderator Zuka. Uh, welcome guys and to everybody listening. Hello. Awkward hello at the start of a podcast. Yep, everybody's like, hello. Yeah. Little wave. So we're going to forego the um, usual retrospective. Uh, you guys can uh, find that when, on the separate when it uh, comes out soon. Um, so we're going to jump straight into uh, what we would usually call the up-and-coming uh, stuff. Uh, so James, I know there's some interesting uh, changes coming soon um, in terms of slot priority and uh, the outpates and fatigue systems. So if you want to just dive straight into that and, and uh, tell us all what's going on. I'm sure you... <laughs> Sorry, you're very off a little bit because I'm sure at the start you said you weren't going to do that and I wasn't expecting it, but no worries. Um, the sit-rep will be obviously next week. We, we, we have a officer staff meeting and a, a follow-up COC meeting on Wednesday. Um, I probably won't touch on it too much because I'm hoping it'll just come out in questions, to be honest. Um, but our main focus at the moment is still on the uh, all about slot priority system. So for those that aren't familiar, that's all to do with how slots um, are assigned or you know the race to get them. Um, our top level strategy at the moment is moving away from you know when you get the ping, everyone having access at the exact same time. So um, I guess what to expect um, in that syrup, maybe not a change immediately, but certainly some more information about how we're going to tackle that. Um, that will essentially come in the form of differing times, we've talked about this before, differing times um, for your buttons based on a lot of different factors. Um, you'll probably hear it referred to from from now on as, as the fatigue system. Um, I suppose the easiest way to explain it is if you are nailing a specific slot or a specific role or a specific role area, it will start to fatigue you on, on that in that area to to slow you down essentially. Um to give other people a chance. Um not everyone's got great internet connection or can always be there when the orbat releases. So um and, and this will be a relatively narrow window. We're not trying to stretch it out over hours. It will be sort of a ten minute window after orbat release where we try and space out the slotting a little bit. Um, to give a bit of a benefit to people that have um, not had a chance in that role, so it won't affect the tier system in that sense. But um, it's a big priority of ours, not because, not least because it affects recruits, um, and um, but everyone really. If you if you're after a marksman slot or if you're after a, um, a specific slot, so certainly the higher demand ones, air crews, another example. Um, we need a way of better distributing those. There are people in Unitaf that that do the um, the sort of two missions a month, but there are some people that do. You know, thirty-five, um, and we need we need to do our best to um, to just slow them down a little bit and give everyone an equal equal opportunity. So, uh, I'm not going to say any specifics about it. Just just that's what we're working on. It's a it's a big priority of ours at the moment. It's a very difficult and slow process, as as you can imagine, because it's a system that affects everyone, and we have to look at it from everyone's point of view. So, um, don't expect anything too crazy. But we we've been working on it for a long time, um, and that probably form a big part of this this month's SITREP, um, maybe with some immediate changes depending on how the means go next week, but also with a bit of a, a roadmap to how that might look over the next few months, um, if that answers the question. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I suppose like not only does it give people the chance to slot into something that they might otherwise not be able to slot into, um, it also gives those people a chance who have perhaps been hammering the same role to try something different. Um, it's always good, I think, to to try something new, even if you don't think that it might not be that interesting. Um, recently, I did a... Um, I think I was just a door gunner, but we ended up doing quite a bit of logistics, and I realised for the first time that actually logistics is quite fun. So it, it, you can use it as an opportunity to get some experience in some different roles. Yeah. Um. So yeah, what about the outplates? Uh, for those who've not heard about what the outplate system is. Sorry, say that again, sir. The the outplate system for those who haven't. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. That is. yeah, so again, I wasn't fully prepared for this, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Um, for those listening, he literally told me he wasn't going to ask me this, and then he's just asked me. Um, so, I, one of the things I want to, I'm keen to put in the sit up is the wider picture of like where these things fall. So, like what 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 I'm trying to do, and what you should see in the up, in the updates is. Um, if you imagine one of those sort of Venn diagrams, is changes that are um, high, high priority and that affect everyone, and, and the fatigue system and the L plate system certainly falls into that category. You'll see updates like the role center, which you've seen over the last week, and the loadout and SOP editors. Um, you know, up until last week, there was only two people in Unitaf that could edit SOP. I, I don't mean physically edit; I just mean technically publish it um, and loadouts. Um, that's obviously not sustainable and, and the more time that those people including myself spend doing that the less time you spend on other things so they fall into the sort of delegation category you're going to see a lot of changes that sort of I'm trying to think of a good way of smashing the word unitaf and wikipedia together but the, the way wikipedia works very similar concept we've already got procedures so let's let everyone else contribute to this just like we do with mission making so the more that we can spread that out um unipedia indeed um the more that frees up um, us to, to work on those so they may not seem when you look at it you think oh that doesn't seem particularly high priority but they're, they're actually almost requirements for, for other things we're working on to, to free up time um, and then other changes that you'll see are, are things more long term like the logistics centre and things that we've talked about before but they very much take a back seat to, to these sort of more important issues um, so, so just going back to the question about the L plate slots, there's two main problems um, with the deployment system. One is the one we talked about, the fatigue system. You know, this month, um, we're on the 21st day of the month. In fact, I looked on Wednesday and we'd already broken the record for number of deployments in a month. We're on track to do something like 50 deployments in, in May and it's the 21st. Um, they're also a lot smaller. You'll notice we've been doing a lot smaller rollbacks recently. That That's equally intentional. Um, and so the fatigue system addresses the hyperactive members. We love having hyperactive members. If you want to go to loads of missions, that's great. But we need to also balance that with with people that can't do that and their ability to, to grab a slot as well. The LPAC system is different. The LPAC system is more to do with the tier system. And so it's not to do necessarily with the activity. It's for these sort of advanced roles. So let's take marksmanship. Let's take aviation. I've talked about it before, so it shouldn't be a new concept. Um, you know, it's hard to get your first foot on the ladder because you need combat experience but to get the combat experience you need to, to actually be able to grab the slot the L-plate system is simply a designated slot on an orbat which doesn't let anyone that's got combat experience in that area take that slot um, so yeah you have to have no combat experience in that area you have to have some practice experience 
and it will only work for tier one slots so designated marksmen um, vehicle crew roles uh, radio operators junior fire team leaders so on and so forth and so it's essentially a designated slot which for the first 24 hours of the orbit is only accessible to people that actually don't have the experience but have been to the ftx so there'll be a limited number of those on each orbit about one to two probably max per orbit um and and if nobody takes them they'll just be released as usual after the first 24 hours i've talked about that before so it's a bit of old news but if you're wondering why that's not happened yet um it's it's just because it's quite complicated and it also f sort of falls in with this fatigue system so expect to see them sort of all at the same time um but they're different because one's got to do with activity and the other one's got to do with um ability if you like yeah, it'll be really great to, to see that system put in place to give people who don't have the experience a chance to to get their their first foot on the ladder so to speak and i suppose and, and, i mean it's not just limited to to new people either right like if if you're a, an nco but you never get the chance to do x y or z it, it can give you the chance to do that too yeah it, it's a massive balancing act i mean you can imagine with the number of people that we have the number of deployments and the number of slots being deployed per month it's about we're, we're deploying somewhere between seven and eight hundred slots a month and so to balance um that with our primary objective in UNICEF, which is to put the most experienced people in all roles wherever possible. You know, because at the, at the end of the day, we're still looking for high quality. Um, and I've talked about it before um, as well. You know, tiers, um, your tier doesn't necessarily represent how good you're going to be at a role. We understand that. We've talked in the past about the um, capability-based system. Where does that fit in the sort of wider roadmap? It's a, it's a little bit further down the line. Um, we'll get the fatigue system sorted first and with the old plates and then we're going to double back on on the capability based system um so it, it's all it's all being worked on but again very very complicated and a lot of um, things to consider to get to get that right and I, th I think something um else that's good about like like you say we want to get the most experienced people or the, the most capable people in in as many slots as possible but there's there's a a danger if you don't allow other people to have a chance that, that it it could become quite stagnant, couldn't it? You know, if you've got the same people fire team leading every single uh, every single week or every single mission, it can get a bit can get a bit stagnant. And there could be people who'd be really really good, but they just don't get the chance to ever do it. So I think it'd be really good to to um, have that system in place and and, and give everybody a, a fair chance to to try different roles. Yeah, I think I think so. And these are just. Um... You know, officially according to to SOP, you know, um, recruits aren't necessarily supposed to take advanced roles. But but one of the things that you'll notice is, you know, when we went through quite a big growth spurt towards the end of last year, you know, half of UNITAF were recruits. That was not a tenable policy because you know nobody would be able to get on an orbit. Um, what you'll see us do now is try to um, even that out. We've stopped recruiting continuously. You know, we're doing intakes at the moment, and we're doing them whenever we sort of drop below 110 we'll do an intake of about 10 to sort of stay around 120 on the active roster um and you know we, we there's no reason we should have half of our or, th or even a third of our um total force be recruits so we're going to try and obviously push them through you'll see a lot more core skills training the the nc is doing a great job of putting on skills and drills so um essentially a uh follow up to the to the entry level training 
um, to get to get them over the line to tier two core infantry. Um, and and also you can see a lot a lot of smaller war maps. You'll notice the we're working on enduring freedom at the moment, and you'll you'll notice even if you look over the next week or so, a huge amount of squad to max platoon sized all bats. And they should offer us the opportunity to do more specialized roles that people are talking about like JTAC and, and radio operators and pilots. Um, you know, you'll only usually ever have a couple of those even on a seventy man all bat. But um we've been doing a lot of missions recently with just a squad size with an Apache or a squad size with, you know, some support. And it um, it certainly increases the supply of, of those specialist slots. Um, which which is also good for people that are interested in those areas. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about uh, that people can expect over the next month or so? Um, not at all. I, if I do think of anything, I'm sure to mention it at the end. But yeah, the SIRREP will be towards the end of next week. Um, hope that just gives you a flavour of what's in there. Um, it's a very, it'll more than likely be quite meaty in, in that respect. Um, but obviously, it does it is dependent upon our, our meetings next week. So I can't be too specific. Um, but it's our birthday on the 16th of June so there's that to look forward to yeah absolutely um, just to answer Minas' question and to let everybody else know uh, there are two ways in which you can ask questions if you're happy to come up on stage and, and uh, join us uh, you can raise your hand that is uh, somewhere in below uh, the bottom of the screen in the middle should be a little raise hand symbol. You can raise that. I'm monitoring that. Uh, otherwise, you can post in the Toughcaster live chat. Uh, if you probably at Zuka uh, your question, um, he will graciously read it out to you. Feel free to interject during during any anything that we're talking about. If you if you have a question, um, although we are going to have a, a dedicated uh, Q and A session as well um, towards the end. So uh, yeah, feel feel free to either join us on stage or or ask your questions to. Suzuka and he'll pass them on to us. Cool. Well, um, yeah, let's have a chat with Strange. Hello, Strange. Hello there. Um, so, uh, yeah, you and I, we, we probably met like 10 minutes before this this uh, uh, podcast, so I, I don't know much about you, and so I imagine that there's quite a few people listening who, who also don't know much about you. Um, but you are fairly new member um and you seem to be like quite active and getting on quite well so i think it'd be interesting to hear your experience um in unisaf so far and how it compares to other groups that you've been in in the past and things that things you like things you don't like that sort of stuff yeah so uh i was in uh kind of units uh years ago um kind of pre pre all what's going on in the world so like that so i was in a, a unit which was fixed all about for four five years at least um was a platoon leader in it um and just the, the the kind of the way it felt for me by the time i came kind of came towards the end of it was like it was a full-time job i'd come in every single wednesday sunday i'd do the same things you'd have the same style of operations you'd have the same process you'd do recruit trainings on the weekends and make sure everything was kind of you were still ticking over and it felt like i was working like three jobs at the time um so you know kind of i packed it in and i left it for years and then I think a lot of people in the in the world probably did the same thing as I do when uh, kind of we went into lockdown as a country. Just kind of looked at it and went, "Oh, I can I can revitalize that and do it again. Like it's it's dead exciting to do again." Um, and then so I, I I know James from the the big outside world, 
and uh, I kept seeing on on Steam it said Unitaf next to his name and a message saying, um, "Oh, like tell me about it." And he literally said to me, "I'm not going to tell you anything about it because I'm completely biased. Um, so you're better off looking out for yourself." So I just spent ages just like looking through everything, going through the website. I think I probably wrote out an application five, six times, then didn't send it, then wrote it out again, then didn't send it, something like that. But I think that best decision I've made. Um, you know, coming into this kind of the the, the way we operate with the, the kind of all bats and stuff like that, I work a full time job, so for me, it's it's ideal. I kind of I kind of pick my days off now based on like what operations we've got and what what days I can do which operations. Um, but you know that that's just exciting for it. Like I used to come into operations with kind of old units. It was like right, same job every week, every week, same operation style every week. You always felt like you were the only only thing on the map at the time. It was not really dynamic to enjoy. It was it was quite dull and quite same same so coming in and having this like change of pace every single week and this completely different style of operation completely different style of um you know uh blue four not four sides things like that is it's just unbelievable and then kind of also you used to find that uh, we had you know three platoons in this older unit and you only spent time with those particular people in that particular platoon so you found that there was actually like a, a kind of teams and camps in the actual unit where people didn't know each other so with this i've been in a different squad every single week with a different group of people with different squad leaders with different tasks with different kind of uh you know personalities and it's just dead refreshing every single week when you come into it um but in that like it's just enjoyable to kind of come in every week and go all right which which Oh, uh, which all bats am I going to sign up to? What am I going to try and get into? And you know, as James was saying with this fatigue system, it's great for kind of us coming into the future with like being able to get better roles. At the moment, uh, you know, you'll see me on the next operation trying to like, drag it out to like six hours long just so I can get like the final bit of time in um, to, for tier two. But once I've done that, you know, that the world's oyster basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's really good to hear hear. Um... Your, your experience has, has, has been that um, compared to what you've had in the past because that, that's exactly the sort of thing that that, uh, that we recognized um, and uh, aimed to change with UNITAF is, is that feeling of of it becoming like, like a job, you know, and that you're required to show up somewhere at a certain time, a certain day, every week with the same people doing the same sort of missions. And it, it really does suck the fun out of it. Um, I think it's it's good to hear that, that like that we're doing that well and that, and then it feels um that it feels that way yeah i used to, i used to have a, a unit leader who used to literally refer to everything as a work-life balance and in no point in something that you come to enjoy you should ever have to refer to it as a work-life balance uh, absolutely i think like the way the way unitaf works is that is unitaf should work for you you don't work for unitaf you know Exactly. It, it, it provides you with everything you need to play when when you want to play, and if you don't want to play, then then you don't have to play. And and then you do want to provide more, like for, for you know, for me when I was in in that previous unit, I was doing the recruitment and I hated it, like because every week I'd have to have the same routine, and you always did more hours because you were always planning in the next recruit intake. Um, with this, because like I've had different instructors every time we've done different um, FTXs and things, so it's it's kind of you can see how like energize people are to do it because they're not doing it week in week out doing the same like tier one training system or the same basic intake for recruits absolutely and, and again then they're, they're not you know they're not forced or required to do it either it's, it's very much like a you know a voluntary thing which which keeps it fresh and, and, and enjoyable for for everybody we, we talked about it in the 
last podcast about um, there is nobody in Unitaf with the title like head of recruitment. There is no head of training. There is no. It's um, like like Zero says. Um, all the FTXs are scheduled off those those people's own backs. There is maybe sometimes a requirement like with an intake or you know if you if you put in the training SAP channel all when's the next marksmanship training an NCL will probably see that and then schedule one but we are quite lucky in, in a respect that um, especially the sort of last three months or so the amount of um, stuff that the NCOs have put on has been quite quite staggering really um, so yeah it's um, it's great to see yeah, I think yeah. I think for me as well, like the, the 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 term like job rotation like comes to mind. Like for even operations for me, I've done oh, well four or five ops, a couple of FTX, FTXs in there as well. And every single time I've had a completely like I was a support group, then I was actually mainline infantry and things like that. It's just that job rotation from like inside and outside is is what makes people happy for me. And it, what's it's what's brought me kind of I talk about it now over and like I used to like almost be embarrassed to talk about it you know to, to people kind of in in the big wide world and stuff but here i'm like actually this is dead exciting it's dead different it's dead new i do this one week and then i do this the next week and it's just dead exciting to talk about yeah and I think sometimes it's... it can be really every now and then i find myself looking at an orbat and being like well i could I could slot as a squad leader but i actually quite fancy doing this this week and then just slotting into some random you know position and and you know going into especially going into like a new like a junior fighting leader or something like that. It's it's so fun to have that ability, you know, to 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 play what you want to play rather than be like, well, you're a lieutenant, you're a platoon or a squad leader, and that that's all you're allowed to do. Like, yeah, it's it's really fun. And I feel well, like it, it, uh, I was just going to say before, it's it's funny because um, one of the interesting things I'm sure it'll come out in like more questions at Zero Assets is because it's very hard for us. Me, me and Zero Zuka is obviously a lot newer than me and Zero, but just to see things from a like a recruit's point of view or from a joiner's point of view because we we sort of know everything. We've got all the experience from 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 day one of Unitaf, like with six people to you know something like 125 or whatever it is now. It's very hard to understand like what what people understand what they don't understand. Um, but like even for me on a Sunday, you know, I, I always said to the guys that I will always do the Sunday I'll, I'll always be there to field leader because you always need something that's sort of a bit consistent um, but I mean if you look at the schedule last few weeks I mean I don't think I'll be leading on a Sunday for at least three weeks because somebody will come to me oh we're going to do an Aisha here's the all back and we're ready to lead it so that's me off that one and so then <laughs> for about four weeks at least I don't think I'll be field leading on a Sunday uh, which is great to see it, it means that um, same as the FTXs really people people come to you they've got their op plan ready to go they're all back good to go um so it happens at all levels as well which is which is good i think with that as well like for, for me like there's a hundred people in here that all kind of have different roles you look at norbat and you know someone that's been here for a while probably look at it and go well, actually i love playing with that person i love being in the team with that person i like them because they do this whereas i'm going through it every week going actually i've not been with them i've not been with them i've not been with them i'll join that one because i've not i've not seen what they're like and stuff like that and you kind of know everybody then because you've figured out kind of within the first four operations how like everybody that you've teamed up with worked then you get that one person that's like been in all of them with you and you're quite like oh like do you remember the other week when we did this stuff like that yeah it's really good like entertaining for that factor yeah absolutely i mean you, you end up eventually having the same effects you do in a, in a sort of closed closed robot system where because you do 
although you you do have those separated groups and you will never play with those people that are in 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 those other groups um and you form really close bonds with the people that you that you do play with week in week out whereas in unitaf it takes a bit longer but eventually you get to know almost everybody and you you know you look forward to, to playing with those different people um and you know if you if you talk to each other on um on discord or whatever you know you can you can slot up together deliberately and, and form your own little group in a fire team or um just float around like it's eventually you end up with like a, a massive bunch of people that you enjoy playing with yeah it's something we hear all the time i, I can't remember the updated stat but because i've not run the query in a while but i think it's something like well the active force is um on 17 at the moment i think it's 33 different countries um i don't i I could just be completely oblivious to it, but I don't think I've ever heard, heard someone complain that they can't get on and all about with the person they want to be in the te a team with. A lot of people seem to not mind, which is which is great. I know there's a fair few people that prefer to slot together, and either that's easy or they don't mind when they when they don't have the opportunity to do it because there's a lot of, um, like you say, um, a, a option to play with new people, people that you've not played with before keeps keeps it fresh. Yeah, absolutely. Is there um, is there anything that you haven't liked so far, Strange, or anything that you found difficult to get your head around, or, or so, anything that's not to been be, to really be fair? The, the the biggest thing for for like someone that's before tier two, I think anyone that's in that will agree is like you 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 mostly weeks of rotation. You are literally they're going to be an assistant like machine gun or assistant AT assistant or a rifleman or something. But I think in that there's always been that element of like well, actually you've got a, a use. Sometimes when you join kind of closed door bats and you start off and you're in that first kind of like few missions and things like that, you you're very much just like the, the extra wheel a lot of the time. Um, but you know, I, I can see if if for me sometimes I look at the all back going right, I, I'm gonna have to be dead quick and I can only look at these three slots very very quickly and make sure that those three slots are the ones that I click on multiple times in the hopes that I get them. Um, so you kind of you, you're limited in that way, um, but. To, you know, for me, I, I I enjoy the kind of like the, the risk elements, and sometimes you you do sit there and go, oh, bloody hell, I missed that old battle. Or like I'm in work and I've just like flicked it on my phone or something. Um, but you know, with the fatigue kind of thing coming into place and things like that, I think that would be a massive kind of game change for someone that's below tier two, just to get a little bit of a chance and kind of that that opportunity as well. Like I look at, um, you know, I'm very into into comms, very into kind of FAC and but to get to that position in operation i'm gonna to have to find a way of doing it somehow in an operation but also do the ftx's um whereas as, as you just said if that comes out of place and there's that opportunity there it makes it life a lot easier so i've got loads and loads of time in core infantry because that's me my, my focus just to get to tier two but i've then had an ftx in cavalry um which is dead exciting for me that's what i never got to do in a previous unit never got to experience kind of that you know the unit i was in was airborne you never ever ever got a, in a humvee uh it was it was dull in that way um you know but that kind of learning curve with kind of the new way of, of operating in the orb it's just just a game changer for someone that's below tier two yeah yeah i can i can totally see, see that but i think it's um ultimately it's a positive thing both for for you as a as a as a new member and, and for the group itself because it's like in a closed in a closed group you you would join in like say be you know be like a fifth wheel um and then when you'd finished your basic training or your probation or whatever system they have in in place often what happens is they then come to you and say right well we have a medic 
role free if you want to fill that and then that that's your option <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and, they, and they'd go here's a medic role uh you're gonna have to spend the next four weeks doing a training session every saturday uh mm-hmm. it's at this set time if you miss it then you won't get it for another five weeks where and you'll never get any practical experience we're just going to sit on an armor server and we're going to inject people with morphine for three and a half hours and that's like that's your entire learning curve of how you become a medic exactly and you might say well, I'm not really interested in being medic. I'd quite like to do cavalry, and they say, "Well, we don't have any cavalry slots for you." Sorry, and and then that's it. Like that, you have no choice but to either be a medic or be like a nothing. Whereas at least oh. with with here, you like it's up to you. Like in that period of time, you know, up when you when you when you're trying to get up to to tier two in core infantry, like you have the, it's entirely up to you what you want to do. If you want to get into cavalry, just look out for the cavalry FTXs. Go along, get some hours. You know, wait for the outplate slot to come up slot yourself in and, and off you go you're, you're you're on your way to 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 doing that you know and you can that applies to any role and and sometimes you, you know you just join ftx is just because you know you go well like, actually I'm, I'm not doing anything thursday night and there's a, a tier one cav ftx and you just go do you know what i'm going to do that just because i've got on to do on thursday night it'll get me some clocked in hours but also you know i get to do something different for the evening um, and I said, when, when, when you come like them previous units, if you talk around like if we've got a spot for a medic slot in a closed door back unit, they'll go, well, actually, we we need someone that wants to be a medic. So actually, we're going to move you to somewhere completely different. That was probably not what you expected because we need someone that wants to do that role and you don't want to do that role. Uh, one thing we try never to do, it may happen sometimes, is move people. Um, oh, exactly. A lot earlier, um, we used to. <laughs> It's, it's difficult because you, um, on like a Sunday, you'll notice we have to gauge what we think we're going to fill orbit wise. Um, you can't really put a 70 person orbit up and then hope for the best, you know. But we know from from history that we can generally fill those. Um, and, you know, if only 50 people sign up and the orbit locks, you've got a hell of a lot of moving around to do and disappointment for people. So it's, it's a very difficult thing. Obviously, if you're planning a squad size up in Unitaf, you've got absolutely no issue. No issues filling that um, anymore, which is you know wonderful. I see them fill in about sixty seconds, but um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a balance. I think when you come in though as well, like it's been what like two or three in the last couple of weeks that I've seen, which are like special forces ops. But you can see the the ex- like you still got the excitement of well, actually I'm going to be there at some point and I'll get to do them ones. Like at the moment, I get to do a rifleman on like you know. Um, kind of uh, one of the operations now and just kind of like that's me purpose I'm the daytime troop I do the generic rifleman duties but you know in like you know a couple months time I'll be doing like special force missions like this is so cool and I did Parabol the other day and and it was you know full of recruits and lower tiers doing like almost a spec ops mission like so we don't need that level of like tier 4 infantry to do it we still got that opportunity yeah I think um I think one of our so again just going back to the sit rep like one of the things you'll probably hear from us is more sort of top level roadmap stuff which is um, to go back to what I said before there, there's a lot of recruits at the moment I don't know the exact number but our whole sort of point at the moment is to reduce the number of them um, I think there's sort of a bit of merit to what you said there which is I think some people join and they got far too carried away going to cavalry FTXs because there's so much going on and then um, you know, getting that getting out of their probationary period becomes a bit of a um, a sideline. We we want to encourage people where possible to get out of the way because we believe it's a, a valuable experience of what it's like to be on the ground. I mean, Unitaf is an infantry first um, 
unit you know we we predominantly are light infantry and everything else supports that so it's not, not everyone enjoys infantry but the best sort of unitaf members have sort of one two three things that they enjoy doing you know for me that's leading first you know medical if i'm not doing that maybe flying after that um and so those that don't um usually in the long long term don't last um if you only have one thing that you enjoy doing and no compromise you will struggle in the long term um with with, with supply um and you take that fatigue system out it's another example of that which is if you nail a single category um it's going to come harder and harder to get a slot on that now that might sound harsh to if you're thinking of it purely from your point of view but then if you consider it from the other 119 people in UNITAF you can kind of appreciate that it's quite important that there's a bit of balance um, and so it's always good for a well sort of rounded member of the team to have two or three different things that you can do to contribute to, to an operation No exactly and, and like that for me like every everything I've ever done has always been infantry as well so I've always enjoyed that so for me like you, I just see it as up to tier two. You're just putting your time. That's all it is. You're putting your time to prove like you want to be here. And if you do that, happy days. You can have whatever, ever role you set your mind to. Um, you know, some sometimes you've been in units where you've got that one person who's like the designated marksman of a section, and he has been for the last three years, and there's no compromise. He's the person. He turns in week in, week out. You have to hope that he like comes down with flu or something just so you get his role for the night. Um, and, and that's that's the worst part for it. You're stuck, I say, you're stuck as a medic, you're stuck as a, a rifle, you're stuck as an AR gunner. Um, you know, I, I've, I I can see kind of like what I'd want to do. So for me, I, I say I enjoy communication, but I enjoy field, I've done field leadership as well, so I enjoy that. So I don't mind if I don't get them too, because I still don't mind being core infantry as well. It doesn't bother me at all to jump in a rifleman slot and do that job. Yeah, and it works, yeah. On the flip, works on the flip side as well, doesn't it? You know, if you have, if you only have two two high tier leaders in a fixed orbit group and one or both of them for some reason are not able to attend you're then you're kind of screwed you've got no one you know who's who's trained to to fill their their position and also like uh, you know previous unit i've been in where we had a night where we did we spent the entirety of a night doing like ards out of chinooks and that was the night and because that particular field leadership uh did not think that like we were good enough in them they did that for two and a half hours, and that was a two and a half, two and a half hour FTX. Was just get in a helicopter, get out a helicopter, get in a helicopter, get out a helicopter. With this, you know, like if that if that particular field leadership has a particular way of doing things, but it it's not enjoyable for for example my night. So you know, if if James was like doing World War One tactics and sending us out of trenches, and we were all getting gunned down every night, I spent most of my night looking at a black screen. Like, do I think that I want to go to every single op? where that one person's doing that exact tactic every single time but if it's constantly changing like that's that's the excitement of it because you don't know what you're going to come into with the the way the field leadership's decided on the mission or how they're going to operate yeah absolutely. sounds like you've not quite had the chance to be led by me in world war ii <laughs> <laughs> it's much worse than the way you described it but um no i i agree and one of the differences we try to convey in, in the induction is um, and we come out with this all the time realism where it matters and there's no real definition of it but I think that one of the ways I look at it is an FTX is um, practically speaking if you're going to an anti-vehicle FTX the whole purpose of that is if when you went to the FTX the first time your chance of hitting a helicopter with a, a Moors when it flew over was 1 in 10 and if you left the FTX and the chance was 3 in 10 then that's a success it's got absolutely 
nothing to do with role play. Um, and FTX is literally, let's get better at one thing by doing it repeatedly. Um, and uh, do it in a semi-interesting way if we can, which hopefully, bar a few probably, um, most of our FTX is... Um, achieve that and to the, to the other point on recruits where it's, it works both ways um, there's obviously a lot of recruits at the moment which expounds the problem but I guess to go back to what you said about like special forces and stuff when you get there it would be quite annoying if um, after you'd done all that and achieved tier 2 that um, the slot that you want comes up and then it's taken by a recruit because there's a lot more recruits than there are of you so it works both ways and we have to please the um, the regulars and the specialists who who have spent a lot of time working on things and um, it's obviously frustrating for them as well when they see us do an intake of 20 new recruits and then they're not able to get any slots so again that goes back to the fatigue system and how we how we find a nice balance for, for everyone So strange is there are there any questions it's a rare opportunity to to uh Ask any questions if you've got any things that you perhaps have been wondering and uh, haven't been made aware of. Or good one to be fair. Uh, no, to be fair, I, I, I listened. I kind of listened to the uh, the last uh, Toughcast, and these are kind of like the the mission dynamics and kind of having missions of GMs. Uh, you know, I've seen people try it before and it not work, and they still and the amount of work for it be kind of like more than people can handle. But I think with the way we we kind of operate, there's loads of opportunity there. But how far down the pipeline are we are we on that um you know i i think there's it's exciting sometimes to be a person like i do the occasional mission making things like that it's exciting to be that person once in a while but i can assume that if 10 percent of people are making all these missions all the time that eventually they just they just want to be part of the mission not kind of have to worry about it so how far down the pipeline are we um i didn't quite catch the first part of the question um it's to do with mission making and how far are we towards what sorry the kind of like um, we talked, you talked about in the last uh, Tafcast, like the the kind of AI ran missions and mm. um, what's the word I'm looking for? That kind of convertibility where it carries on and it's consistent persistency. There we go, got it. Um, yeah. So yeah. So enduring free, the whole point of enduring freedom is that it's um, doesn't require Zeus. Um, the what you said before, I think, is quite true about Unitaf, which is we don't want every op to be the same. So. There's diversity in the fact that you could be with different people all the time. There's diversity in that you could be in a different role in different missions. There's also diversity in that the campaigns are completely different. We try not to have campaigns that are the same. Brimstone's completely different to Parable. Parable's completely different to Enduring Freedom. Enduring Freedom is completely different to Daesh Dawn, for example. Um, and then you've got the size of operations. Uh, Ten-man ops going to be completely different to a seventy-man op, both server performance-wise and experience-wise. Um, and if you don't like one we don't like the other you don't have to go to them and that's kind of the beauty of it it's the same with rain or day and night which we all try to put on the op center um the ai ran ones generally i think or at least what we're doing with enduring freedom at the moment is going to be a much different pace we're very used to um michael bay-esque operations in, in unitaf and um aisha is is a good example of that he's a very very fast-paced and challenging circumstances and with a lot of contact um enduring freedom at the moment is completely different it's a patrol when you step off from the base there is literally no guarantee that you're going to hit contact which if you tried that on a 70 man off on sunday is um a bit of a ballsy move so 
it's just what your mindset is. Some people enjoy that, some don't. Uh, we had a campaign called Herrick uh, a while back that Stero uh, made with Ben, and it was very similar, similar to Brimstone in story, but uh, very much more anti-insurgency and hit-and-run tactics, and the contact was much slower pace. And so we have debated putting on the opposite, on the op centre like a almost, I guess, a beats-per-minute sign to give you an idea of how intense an operation would be. Because we know some people love like slower pace ops and some and some people don't so um in terms of how far we are with it we're playing with it at the moment if you go to one of the um one of the enduring freedom ops you'll, you'll see it it's probably not the only thing we'll do we are blessed to have a shed load of of, of uh, zeus's uh, and game masters and and there's a lot of new ones as well that have been working on brimstone and stuff some of them can get burnt out um, just like anyone else um, but there are some of them that are just pure machines and, and um, you know, they, they'd rather be doing that than playing the mission, which is odd. Uh, you sort of said there, you know, some of them might want to play it rather than be it, but my understanding from speaking to some of them is, is the exact opposite. They much prefer being um, in the designer seat than they do in the execution seat, which is which is fair enough. Um, AI ops will never play Seuss ones. They're just, an org- you know, they'll just be there to augment it and uh, for a slightly different style of operation most of our direct action operations you know will be zeus it tends to be a lot more dynamic but i I guess we're just open to ideas you know if if people that are designing the missions have got an idea and it fits within our sop and our framework um let's give it a go it's all about variety of ops and try and try new things but not being too crazy that we're sort of outside what we intend to do you don't want someone to turn up to an op expecting one thing and it be completely different and that's the main challenge to solve that was my one golden question (laughs) james do you have any questions for strange i think you pinched my main one which is one of the things i always like to ask new people is like what what was it like to join what what was their first impressions you know what do they hate what's their biggest sticking points and it goes that also goes to the people that are listening as well um because we don't get that perspective a lot um so it's always good to get it um and and yeah that that would be my only question but i don't know if I, if you yeah. already answered that let's be fair like a specific for, for me like you, you come into that first intake you get the information around the unit and things like that and and i think the, the most exciting thing in the world was sitting on the fir- on the server first time on your bench with about like eight other people that are all going through the same experience you know it's it's you, you don't get that a lot when you t- when, when i've kind of had it in previous units you you have these guys that have started the kind of varied ages the very kind of experienced things like that but you, you never feel excited by the first intake ever that's always the the thing you go i've got to get through this to get into the unit and do this 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 and this for me like it, you know it was it was the, the most exciting first two hours to actually come into the unit and enjoy um and just being talked even the kind of being talked to other the website and stuff works you don't get that most units you just say it's a forum kind of like experience and it's like here's the website here's your account good luck you're left to it um so yeah that's that's something completely different that i think if you're coming in as a recruit first time you, you just don't ever get that ever it's like it's more like starting a new like in the best way it's like starting a new job and starting a unit because you get all the information you need to do your job and actually go out on day one and do your job did you join pre pre when we started doing intakes or did you join were you inducted like on your own straight away 
because we've changed it obviously recently no so I, I was in the uh, there was a big uh, blanket kind of weight on it and I did the first, one of the first intakes coming back not the it wasn't last intake the intake before okay yeah so we we recently changed it so for most people listening that aren't haven't joined in like the last two months when you put your application in you were pretty much inducted immediately which could have been like a one-on-one um but you know we get something in the region of 30 or 40 applications a month which we obviously can't um we, we just can't take on that many people and we have an arbitrary limit of 120 just because it feels like a nice number and, and we're comfortable sort of staying where we are till we work out all these kinks like the fatigue system and stuff and um Unitas not really about the size of operations because we can't really go any bigger. You know, we talked in the last podcast about sort of doing 500 man orbats, but we just don't have the technology for it. So, you know, we have to make a sort of decision about it's all about frequency of operations and how many we can put on um, that's important. So, so now, um, you know, when you put an application in, some people have to wait, you know, up to a month really, I suppose. And what we see is a lot of those sort of 40 applications over that month period that drop out. So we thin, thin them out that way, and then Kevin at the moment will go through and check them out. And we've developed a system that automatically scores your application based on your age and how many words you put in it and stuff. And so we we just whittle them down. And what we found in the last two intakes, including yours, is just a much higher quality of in, induction because those people have waited and and obviously understand that you know. Um, this is not an easy thing to do and so it'll be interesting to see how long we can get away with that for but hopefully it's noticeable on the ground as well when you kind of come into it and you're a part of it as well i think if you're the the one new guy in anything you kind of you come in i've kind of on the back foot i think when you come in and there's like 10 of you and you've all you know you come through the first op and you've all managed to to get a spot in there and different things you just happen to like cross paths in an operation or in an ftx and you kind of go actually you were there when i first started and you have that kind of like we've all done this now and like you're on the front foot then whenever you come into the kind of the next operations Bazook's been a bit quiet has he got any questions no what I can answer I'm answering in the chat but oh feel free to frame up here or people can can join up here especially if they're relevant to what we're we're talking about uh I guess one question would be if we're having issues with making or like the this this slot allocation of too many people wanting too few slots. Why don't we just make bigger R bats all the time? But I think that answers itself. Um Yeah, so I mean yes and no. Big the big operations have a lot of um work to go into them. I mean there there probably is quite a lot of big orbats. I mean I'd have to look at statistics to know specifically, but um I think I think we're all about a mix. One of the things Strange said is something we're quite keen to avoid, which is in a fixed orbat group, if you've got seventy people, every op will have seventy people on it, and, and every op will have helicopters, and every op will have cavalry on it. We want a good mix. Um, so, yeah, hope, hopefully we'll continue to do um, these sort of size ops. I get the feeling we've done one hundred and fifteen, and it was the worst rated op we've ever done. Um, 70 is sort of where we're sitting on our Sundays at the moment and at the moment we appear to be rotating between our three major campaigns and doing the big hitting missions on Sundays and then doing the sort of platoon size ops in the week um, and that seems to be working quite well but 70 is sort of getting to the top end of where we think we're going to get like 
with that, with these sort of high octane missions performance wise but we'll see we'll continue to play with it um but the most enjoyable missions statistically are platoon size so we'll continue to do a lot of the sort of 30-ish to 35 and, and as you probably noticed an increase in squad size ops which is good for, for, for people that are new to, to leading getting used to that and also quite enjoyable and just different styles so um I guess the best bit of advice is if you um, just don't go to the ones that you don't like because we just react to demand so if if they fill we'll do more of them if they don't fill we'll do less of them so we just we just track what you what the behavior i guess of the total force and then react to it so um but it, it's always been the case that there's more demand than there is supply i mean the the current tracking number is like 8.9 all bats per person per month on average which is still ridiculous and covid whilst not over is you know most people as far as I understand are back to work um, in in some context so we've not seen any reduction in activity uh, post COVID um, which is quite surprising so we'll just keep, we'll keep tracking it but um, if that answers that question yeah and sorry just to butt in here from a mission makers perspective of course you can't just make every RBAP you can just double its size because you always have to take a bit of realism into it and the whole mission making around it, performance, the lore behind it, the objectives, you can't just always scale it up. Where we can, of course we try, or at least I do, but sometimes it's just a bad fit. You can't have 80 people in, again, for example, Parable, just being secret agents or something. Yeah, definitely. And, and it, yeah, it's to do with variety as well, isn't it? Like you say, most large-scale orbats will end up being similar in time in terms of execution, like um, almost always direct action missions with some sort of conventional element to it. Um, and so you get a bit more variety with, with the varying numbers. And, and also, I think the leadership burden. So the leadership burden is around 10%. So on a 70-man orbat, you're looking at like minimum seven senior field leaders and probably another seven junior. Um, so you can't really do those five days a week at the moment because you know you'll burn the leadership out pretty quickly. Um, so it'll be a it'll be a gradual process. Um, it'd be nice to see some more more guaranteed ones. So like you know on a Sunday you're going to get something like seventy. It'd be nice to know like for on a Wednesday for example that you're going to get a fifty or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll keep chipping away at that. And um, you know, like most things, you know, if you want to contribute with that from either side, just get in touch with the relevant people. Um, either campaign managers or field leaders um, and, and we do our best to uh, to put on more and more you've only got to look at the upcoming schedule to, to see that yeah definitely yeah. if you have any ideas for missions or any uh, ideas for something like that don't hesitate to message the campaign manager or anything because we're always happy for a helping hand or someone with fresh ideas Absolutely. Yeah, that goes for anything uh, across the board in UNICEF. If, if you've got an idea or you want to get stuck in and help out, then, uh, you only have to reach out. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of, you know, if we're finding it difficult to uh, give people enough slots to play in, why don't we just, you know, increase the orbit sizes? It's because it's, you know, like James said, like the largest op we've ever done is the worst rated op we've ever done. So that there's a, just because it's bigger doesn't mean it's going to be better, um, and there's a careful, there's a careful balance there. I think we'd much rather put on slightly smaller orbats more frequently and get a better quality out of them than than just say, "Wow, well, we've got 
90 people that want to play, so let's put on 90, 90 slots on and all that. Yeah, I see Malaus put something similarly saying um, you get the impression that the number of special forces and small squad operations are increasing. Um, but what about players that really wanted to join that operation but just didn't open the orbit in time? Is there a specific reason for hosting more special forces operations instead of some operations where 30 or 40 people have the chance to play? Um, it's you have to sort of make a distinction between, I guess, special forces and op and all that size because you could do in theory um, special forces with a full platoon, uh, which we were sort of halfway to on the uh, Brimstone op this week. Uh, part of it is the style of op, so shorter generally, like maybe 90 minutes, and they're usually a defined action. So you know, there's a compound there. Here's a picture of it. There's a guy inside, right? Go capture him and then get extracted. And you know, because you're so used to a three hour op with Unitaf, when it gets to like 90 minutes, you're like, what? We're done. It can be a bit jarring. So that those type of ops, not just because of the size, but also because of it's something different. So if you ever see spec ops tag on, a, on an Orbat, you should certainly expect it to be a, a lot less conventional. Um, and then from the size of Orbats, and we covered it sort of briefly before, um, just gives a good opportunity for squad leaders to to learn. Um, if you think about it this way, if you're new to the squad leading, um, to be able to do it in a slower paced operation like Enduring Freedom, where you can focus on the fire team element and not worry about the external element, can be quite useful. Um, it's also good for the people in those teams that are newer. And if you balance that with uh, the all battered Special Forces missions that have Tier 4 requirements, you're getting your experienced members on the Tier 4, you're getting your slightly less experienced ones on the smaller Orbats, which is good because they can all build experience sort of in their own realms. So, um, it only works though, Manaus, if if we continue to to. So we're not looking at. Uh, it's weird when you look at the schedule. You might see a lot of small orbats and think, "Oh, that's annoying. I can never get on it." But when you look at the total slot count, so the site, the total amount of slots being deployed, it's generally always in line and or going up. Um, so it only works if we do. Um, smaller orbats and more of them I guess hence why with Enduring Freedom the idea is not to have necessarily GMs if you wanted to do a 10 man op um, on a Sunday you know you'd have to do it seven times so it does have a sort of um, you know impact but you'll probably see a few things happening you'll probably see some ops um, like evenings like on a Friday where you've got like three or four squad sites ops that all overlap you know, on the same server, so you like come in, come out, or which we've done before, you may see a couple of ops like that, maybe even platoon size, where they're sort of on the same server but not quite in the same AO. And again, it's just all about scale and getting a different scale of contact and a different scale of operation to give you all sort of a fresh experience in different areas. So there's no specific reason for it other than variety and and giving people, um, you know, the option. I think I've got a quick one on that as well. For me, for me, like if I look at uh, Brimstone, for example, now this this weekend, like the next Brimstone I go into, there's already been uh, there'll be already be a special forces op that's got on on it. And for me, I talked before, like sometimes you can feel like you've in other units, you can feel like you're the only force in the entirety of the of the continent that you're fighting on. And for me, like I I actually get excited with the thought of well, actually what's changed since that. And then I go back to you know I'm looking at kind of the the awards for ops that I know I'm not going to be able to attend or or don't have the ability to attend for. And I'm actually reading them to go, well, what's going to be different when I come to do my Sunday off and there's actually 60 of us? 
yeah, and, and we to be honest, we try to use them to fix problems. So if anyone was on um, Six Flags Part Two and remembered that we one of our um, Chinooks got hit in the tail rotor by a an anti tank missile of all things, I think, um, and went down. Uh, it was a little bit messy because of the way that the index was handled because obviously it wasn't we weren't planning on that happening so we we rolled out a special forces all back to go and recover the the you know bodies from the chinook and just and make sure the chinook was destroyed and stuff so it's quite neat how some of the all backs come about and obviously if you were on both missions you can tie it together uh which is always nice yeah and i think one of the other things that we've done recently is put on put on the same all back two days in a row which is another way of getting, uh, giving more people a chance to to play in a particular mission. Hmm. And and again, it's all about. It, it's always interesting to hear from people because this is the, I always say the the biggest driving factor to ARs is like, did the did the operation meet your expectation? And in a system where we're trying to vary people, you know, the operations all the time, you're constantly battling. Like, have we been clear about what this operation is? Um, we did a um, a special forces op in in Pavis where the whole mission was like those little submarines that sit four people. Like we took twelve members of the org COC, so all corporals and above, on like a Saturday night, and we spent like two hours driving these little subs to a bridge that was in the Sunday operation, putting charges on it as divers, blowing it up, and then driving back. That was the entire mission. It was rated ninety eight percent. I think we fired something like eight shots each uh, when we when we got to the land. So it's all to do with expectation, and for a lot of people, if you just threw that mission at them, Jesus, it would be, it would not be very highly rated. Um, so we just have to be careful about how how we build them to to people, and um, so people understand what they're getting into. And I appreciate part of that is just getting the early off boards out, which is um, a constant battle. Um, but yeah, I thought that one was interesting. Uh, I've got a question from Jasmine about mm -hmm. asking about replaying the same mission twice, for example. Especially if it's like a smaller or bad one, I think he's meaning, or the one he's thinking of is a parable one, which had what twenty people, twenty-five people, something like that. Yeah. Um. I, what's one of the things that's odd is like out of four hundred missions, I don't think we've ever really done that. We've maybe done it once. Um. You'll find some quirky things in Unitaf that we try not to do, and um, the only reason I'd say we try not to do that is in the future, soon, TM when um, we do have linking with Intel and the campaign center and stuff, it would be rather odd to do it because of the way that the Intel feeds work. So if you imagine doing the Intel post for that, you're reporting on the same thing. Um, but the answer's not really no, I suppose. It's just, can we can we vary it slightly? Can we um, can we do something to, to make it differ? The only other solution is to to not make it a campaign mission and to make it a special operation, and we're not necessarily against that. Um, we just don't want a hundred special operations um, a month, so we're, we're mostly campaign focused. And the reason for that is because of uh, I mean, you think about it, fifty deployments this month, but they mostly fall within five campaigns, and it makes it very easy for server administration. But so long as we're reusing assets from campaigns, they they could in theory be done as a non-campaign operation, as a special operation, and then be rinse repeated. Because there's some great examples of missions that uh, would have high repayability, and and to some extent people do like that because they can go, oh, you know what, we were really bad at that last time, let's do it again. Um, could be done as the guys under the guise of an FTX or also a special operation, but I wouldn't completely rule out a campaign. I would just try and tweak the story slightly if possible, so it, it fits in. So, 
on that part, I remember doing that World War Two one twice, and I was on both of them. And both, or they were completely different, either due to leadership or the plan that was laid out. So something like that, maybe having different leaders or having different people attend it, like we uh, did there, because that was radically different. Yeah, and then for the campaign center, we can pick the one that was most successful <laughs> to submit. Um, but yeah, so it's not unprecedented. We we certainly um, we certainly have done it. Um, I'm gonna add, I'm gonna add uh, Benaus. He's got his uh, hand raised. Yeah, maybe he'll touch on this because I don't know if we touched on it. But and just looking a bit further back in the chat where he said, uh, "Have you had a thought about a mix between special forces and regular forces acting together with a slight difference in objective?" Um, yes, we have. Um, it's a great idea, and it has an added benefit, which is, um, you know, Strange could probably relate to it, even on the bigger Orbats, the 60-man Orbats. Um, it can be quite hard to get a slot, um, because you have less sort of you have less of the sort of boxes ticked. Um, if we put a 60-man Orbat up and 14 of those was, was the SF roles, so where you see SF Commander, SF Operator, a lot of the experienced members will gravitate towards those which frees up slots for you so absolutely that can be done and I don't think we've ever done it actually on a big orbat but for any of the mission makers or field leaders listening go for it I think that's a, a great idea um, it's just making sure that there is a, a reason for them both to be deployed and it obviously makes sense from a story perspective but it has a lot of benefits yeah you can do some really interesting stuff in terms of storyline with uh, having a special forces group operating in the same AO as a non-special forces group especially if you if you tie in their objectives together, you know, so the special forces have to do something in order for the non-special forces to do their thing. Um, you can do some really cool stuff with that. I think we we I've, I've once done an off that was like that uh, back in the day where for a consistency of campaign, one of we done an operation and one of the team members of, of one of the platoons had actually like we kind of played into the fact that armor's just broken sometimes, and he kind of just disappeared out of a helicopter and ended up where actually the enemy were. So we kind of played onto the fact that they've been captured and things like that, and the, the whole like mission was based around the guys that were in the original infantry doing exactly what their job was to carry on and basically pretend that he didn't exist, but still to gather intel. And actually, the special forces group was actually on like a manhunt for the whole time, and everything that you were using for the the main platoon was actually just intel for them to carry on this manhunt. And it was you know that excitement around it of uh, you get that kind of element of if you're not someone like that's uh, tiered for, for SF or something like that, you've still got the feeling of, well, actually, I'm doing something massively supportive to an SF team. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, we we tried it on Six Flags, but another great idea for that is, because um, we had the ability with the mod to, to start people in different bases, is um, have an SF team that's you know been surrounded, captured, on the run, whatever, and then the regulars become the QRF, and it sort of is a role reversal. And you kind of want to design it in a way where, you know, by the time the regulars get there, the SF team's completely out of ammo and they're trying to use AKs to defend themselves or whatever, you know. There's loads of neat ideas. I've invited Benaus, by the way, to speak. I don't know how this works. But there we go. Uh, I can talk, I think, yeah. I just had to accept. Uh, hello, everyone. Thanks uh, for taking me. Uh, yeah, I had a question uh, about pretty, pretty kind of linked with uh, trying to slot in in an emission and not being able to because everyone is faster than you. Um, but it's about recruits and linked to that. I saw that, uh, I think it was yesterday, a few days ago, you even accepted a few recruits, so that's uh, quite recent. But do you have like um, 
like a, a fixed numbers of recruits uh, uh, you you take and have a plan for making sure that you know we don't run with like just too many recruits trying to take slots and that just cannot because like from a, a private uh, point of view it's already look like it's the case and that like not every recruit can get a slot sometime i don't know if you have a plan or something like this yeah just to make sure do you mean like um i, I don't know how long it'll be in unitaf but i guess like from your perspective you're sat there waiting for an orbit release and then you see us doing an intake of, of 10 people and, and you already feel like it's hard enough to you get a slot. Is that the right angle of question? Yeah, basically like, uh, like, is there, like, is there like a security to make sure that at some point we just like not too many people for like, even like having the chance to play like twice a week or once a week even? And especially yeah. like for recruits, cause it's, it's for me, for example, it's, it's pretty easy because I, I'm in private, so. I got a choice to uh, a lot more slots than recruits, but for recruits, I can uh, I can feel like it it can be really frustrating to just like feel well, that's just fucked on of recruits. How can I be able to like take a slot? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. So it falls under supply and demand. Um, so I, I completely appreciate the way you look at it. Here's the way um, I tend to look at it. So we our supply of slots this month will be like eight hundred slots, and there won't be any that that usually go empty maybe maybe there's a waste of like two percent right so i then go right what's the average slots per person right it's 8.9 that's pretty much accurate i think so i could say to you are you are you attending 8.9 missions this month and maybe your answer to that is no but what that means is when you actually look into that data is there's going to be people this month that have done like 30 35 so I'm kind of hoping that this will be indirectly addressed by the fatigue system, which is your um, inability to grab certain slots is, I wouldn't say greed, because we always say that if our system lets you take a slot, you're welcome to take it. And I, I have heard a few people say before, like, you know, oh, pointing at someone saying they always grab a slot. But the thing is, the system lets them do it. And if we're to fix it, we need to fix the system um, and not, not address certain people. And even though you might think that's... Um, excessive uh, or somebody's always hogging a certain slot will address that at a system level and I so I'm sort of hoping that a lot of your um, issues there will be addressed by the fact that we'll slap a delay of you know two minutes on someone that's got double the activity that you have and that get, frees you up to, to grab those slots um, but to the specific question of do we have a number of like recruits we try and keep um, no uh, what we're trying to do is strike a very difficult balance of Right, um, I say it all the time to the auxiliary. If we're not growing, we're dying. Right, and to, we don't. When we're growing, we don't have to be constantly getting bigger and bigger. We just have to stay at the same size. So we've, uh, as I keep saying, we've slapped an arbitrary limit on the total force of 120, and about 20% of UNITAF is always in a transition state. So you'll notice the active force is somewhere around 100. That's 100 people competing for slots, you know, on on any given basis. Um, we'll try and keep it that way because what we need to assess is what's the right number where we've got enough mission makers and enough leaders to support more and more missions because if you reduce the number the active force from 100 to, to 80 you're going to have less mission makers as well you're going to have less leaders so it's a double-edged sword so um we're trying to uh, tackle it indirectly by a encouraging people to contribute whether that be helping with sop helping with loadouts making missions leading missions and at the same time 
work out our, our systems a lot of what may be seen as like a stagnation in what we're doing is right we've gone from 60 to to 120 people in very quick time and we're looking at the systems we've built and gone hang on a minute this isn't going to work we can't have 500 people that all get access to the orbit at the same time because that's never going to work so this sort of period we're in at the moment is very much a looking at how it works and and we've got to come up with a system where we can say to human house um right on this orbit that you're looking at that releases in an hour here's what your chance of getting that slot is because you have the lowest fatigue for this slot for example or whatever it may be so um i don't know if that answers the question but hopefully it's yeah, feel free to ask more that can answer like my concern uh as a private I'm not i'm not sure that really like uh uh, response to like the recruits because I don't know how it is I don't know if there's a way you can actually like check on that but like the slot that can be filled by recruits so you know that are like tier zero or tier one in uh in core infantry are getting yeah. like filled in like Jesus like alpha signal sometime and a lot of the problem with that I think is that and I don't know one of the weird things and this is why it's great to have these conversations and have strange and you on is um, I said to the guys not long ago, I often don't have to slot for missions uh, because I, you know the leaders generally are pre-slotted. And um, not long ago, I had to slot for a mission, and it's it's fucking tense, you know, when you're waiting for the refresh. Um, a lot of the those slots are taken by people that are a lot more experienced than the minimum requirement. So, like a recruit might be looking for a rifleman slot, but it might get taken by a specialist, for example. I'm not entirely sure what we can do about that but we have obviously rolled out a few recruit operations and things like that and, and we do that because of the sheer amount of recruits but i think what we're trying to do is reduce reduce the number of recruits um to, to, to sort of abate that problem um but your your question is um not as a private but as a recruit uh what are we doing or do we have any data on their inability to get slots is that right yeah Okay, um, I'll I'll make some notes. I think well, I'm hoping that it may still be addressed by the fatigue system. In the view of that, if somebody's a, a recruit, they should in the last ninety days have less activity than somebody who isn't. So therefore, they would be prioritised for a role that they have the same requirements as somebody else for. So in a tier zero slot, a recruit when it looks over their last 90 days of activity will go well you've got no activity because you're new and then it looks at me and goes well that guy's got loads of activity and it slaps a delay on me so i would have thought that will help help a recruit but i'll, I'll definitely make a note and we'll, we'll triple check that for for the syrup okay thanks for the questions i got a last question which is always a bit linked it's um uh, uh have you thought about like trying to because I'm, I'm i'm assuming that you get a lot of people that want to join in compared to the amount of people you can uh, actually like let in the unit like basically like you choose people uh like really the best of the best right yeah uh, have you thought about like trying to basically like uh find people that will fill uh, the needs that you have so for example like uh, trying to get specific recruits that wants to uh, become like game masters or like for example like uh, some people like in the cavalry like I feel like the cavalry is sometimes there's a lot of slots compared to the like there's a lot of slots uh, opened I mean like was that a is that something you're already doing or is that something you're planning to do um 
so yeah it's a good question one of the things we have thought about doing is bringing the you know the role center where it asks you what your preferences are is bringing that back to application stage yeah it's quite an interesting thing to know uh, that is on the dev tracker but like most things on the dev tracker um it's not as high priority as, as the fatigue system so it, it may be slightly but one of the things we have done since we introduced the intake system which i touched on briefly before is um you, you know, we because we're not processing applications on a daily basis. When you go to the RRO office, which is like a back end we have for applications, you'll just see a list of like thirty people's names, and obviously without going through and reading them all, it can be a bit arduous. So we just basically have a scoring system, and it will look at their age versus the average age of Unitaf. So the average age is like twenty seven, and if somebody's drastically different from the average age, like it will score it differently. It looks at how much, how many words are in their application, what type of words, and tries to give it a score. And so we we literally will prioritize the ones with the highest score. And some of those questions on the application are asking like, um, you know, how uh, what skills have you got that could help Unitaf, like graphics design, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Um, so they're definitely taken into consideration. Um, but it's, it's again, it's a double-edged sword because you can find some of the best people um, and then maybe they don't write that into their application. So the other thing that the application asks now is how many hours they've got in armor. Uh, whether they've got prior experience in ACA, ACA, Task Force, so on. We find those to be really good indicators of whether somebody stays or goes. Um, and so we, we're trying to consider all these things. But definitely we, we've looked and will probably in, in the due course add the role preferences form to the application. The application is already quite big now. I don't know, like say when everyone filled their application and some people never even filled an application and depending on how old they were. But it's it's quite a substantial process now um but we'll continue to do that for as long as we can get away with it and i think that only benefits everyone um in terms of the quality of people that are coming in at least if your your slot is getting sniped by a recruit as always he's a nice guy that that's all right right yeah that's correct like i'm thinking especially like uh for my uh, my point of view as someone that's really like facfo there's like there's been like lots of uh, new people that really love the roles and I got quite lucky because when I, I just joined in, there were like almost no people interested in the world aside from uh, the lieutenant corporal and stuff like that. So Forward Observer is going to be one of those roles that will benefit from the outplate system. So yeah. if you've just joined and you went to a comms FTX, um, but you've not been able to get into a comms combat role, when a, a when a, an outplate slot comes up on an orbat, the only people that would be able to slot would be people that haven't done it in combat before but have done the FTX. So that might still be three people, so you may still end up battling for that slot, but it will give you a much higher chance um, yeah. You know, when you're only competing against three people instead of 30. Yeah, the, the fatigue system uh, is, is a really good idea. I like it. I think I've got to do a quick point on the kind of like intake system for it as well. I think the 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 premise of people you're taking on people for particular like skills and attributes sometimes. Like I I used to make missions left, right, and centre when I was in previous units, but I was also a a non-working uni student, so I had all the time in the world to do so. So for me now, I I'd probably put in an application that I've got them skills, but how much time am I actually be able to dedicate to it, kind of now. So it, it, the way it kind of operates now with that kind of point system around kind of age and things like that works because you know I, I have them abilities but might not use them, so I don't actually benefit for for kind of Unitaf because I don't actually use that skill. But there's probably other skills that I've, I've developed that have no relation to it that actually you know 
you know, my degrees in, in English, so like and, and stuff like that. So for me, like all bats and actually writing the all bats, I could knock up all bats for someone left, right, and center. It doesn't take a long amount of time, but I didn't actually put that on my application because my skills previously would have dictated mission making and things like that. And, and I think Zero said it before, but just to reiterate the point um, about Unipedia, if that's what we're calling it, is you'll, you'll see a lot of this at the moment, and, and it's something we do massively in the org COC, which is uh, I have very little involvement in the day-to-day -day running of Unitaf. Um, and when I say day-to-day -day running, I mean like administration. It's completely distributed from the org COC, and, and that means it's working, in essence, that my time's freed up to talk about stuff like this. Um, and... and yeah, you know that's mostly what we discuss um, at officer level is is policies and procedures, not not people. Um, and the org COC deals with the administration, and that's of only only a benefit to to everyone really, which is, should speed up development. So, um, if you want to help, um, and, and like I say, we try and keep it to to regulars, so privates and above. But there's no reason why recruits can't get involved and, and certainly have done in any of the areas and. Hence, why you see these sort of updates that allow people to front end edit loadouts for the loadout system, because the less time we spend doing it, um, the more time we can spend on the stuff that only we can do, uh, whether that be mod mod development or, or website development, um, and and anyone realistically can get involved. We're just looking for people that can can hit the ground running and get started, um, and, and there's a lot of great teams working on a lot of great things, which is um, which is encouraging to see. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess we've already kind of rolled into a, a Q&A session. I don't know if we want to, like, narrow its focus or uh, if you want to open it up entirely. James, if you have any anything that you'd um, like people to ask you questions about. Yeah. The only thing I would say, um, it depends on who's listening live and also the people that listen to it um, afterwards, um, not every change we make is going to, you know, be universally loved. There may be a few controversial things in there. One, one of the things that we are quite keen on at the moment is making sure recruits don't stay as recruits for too long. Um, we want to try and funnel you through that process um, so that you become regulars. Um, so there's less of them in total. Um, and so you will see, um, or you should expect some updates on that front, and we'll, we'll keep you informed um, about it. Um, we are sort of committed to this sort of skills and drills tier two core infantry um and so yeah there will there will be an element of that so if you've been a recruit for any extended period of time it's really something that we're, we're going to try and avoid um and we're going to try and through policies and procedures i guess funnel you through that process um much quicker than, than some people have but part of that is also due to just the sheer amount of recruits that we have um so, so uh, nothing concrete in the moment, but but do do expect something on on that front um, in the near future. But no, I don't know if if Suka's got any more questions from the from the chat. But we we can sort of narrow it down to stuff that's coming soon. We talk a bit about the fatigue system. We talk about the orbats and things like that. There's been a few questions about ops, but I'm happy to go anywhere really that that, that people want to go. Um, but I guess the theme of this one has been newer people to Unitaf like Strange. Um, and that that's a good place to 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 stay if we're going to theme it, I guess. Not really anything from the chat side. Yep. If uh, yeah, if you guys listening uh, live have any questions that you want to ask, uh, stick them in the chat or raise your hand. Uh, now's a now's a perfect time. Um, 
strange in, in relation, I guess, to, to where you're at at the moment. So how long have you been in you and Taff now uh, without me looking at your profile and sort of where are you looking to, to go? Ooh, blooming out of my mind. And do you know the route there? Is it obvious? I think I think the route the route to kind of where I where I look at kind of field leadership field leadership wise has been really obvious because kind of like uh, troop troop leaders and stuff like that have like spoke to me and like explained kind of how that that works definitely um, kind of everything else I, it's one of them like I, I came in with a strict thing of like oh I really really want to do this but then I, when I got into it I was like actually you know I might do that sometimes I might do this sometimes you know. And actually, that's that's kind of the more fun of it. I think more than else, it's great going. I really, really love being a medic, but I, I, I probably, you know, I'd come into like Aish or something as a medic, and we'd have like fifteen people down on the ground, and I'd, I'd lose me mind. <laughs> Whereas I might really enjoy being a medic on like a patrol mission more than that. So, like, you know, I've, I'm literally, I think, three point four hours to tier two, uh, tier two core infantry. So on Sunday, you'll see me working really slow. Uh, to try and drag the mission out, um, and then kind of from there, then I'm just going to make that decision really, and kind of like where, where kind of what where route I want to go in, in kind of the main body of kind of the unit, but kind of with field leadership in a in a mindset kind of for a longer term goal. So I'm just looking at your profile. It's like your one slightly long long operation off of a tier two infantry. Uh, I need another brimstone from the other day, and that's my dream. If that happens, I'm set. Yeah, if it's three hours twenty nine minutes, you just need to ask a few questions in the debrief and uh, tip, tip over the the line. But yeah, so not 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 far off um, at all by those things. Um, but yeah, I think I think like I say in terms of a, a focus, like if anyone does want to ask any questions, I think a great area for this is um, yes, what we talked about about recruits, but also about there was a much earlier question from Simon, which I need to try and find now about. Um, I don't has got easy access to it, but it's something to do about um, single points of failure. Um, so, so you think about something like Unitaf, you know, really a, a ballooning organisation, and you know you want to minimise uh, single points of failure, reliance upon certain people, and and something that we aim to do in, in all areas where possible is is distribute that so that you know and anyone essentially is expendable in the nicest possible way now we've not obviously fully got there it's a very difficult thing to do but like i said before in terms of day-to-day -day management of unit i have next to no involvement unless there's something that needs my attention and, and that is an example of um of that distribution and and that's what we aim for so we need to aim for a system where i don't need to be at every operation i don't need to be involved in every coc report you know and that's something that we're fortunate to have um, a system where, which is well explained so for NCOs for example they, they just know what to do and they deal with most things before it ever reaches a single person and that's the way it should be and so the process now is how do we distribute that across the whole of UNITAF, how do we do it so that you know SOP can be crowdsourced so that um, loadouts can be crowdsourced how can we do it so you know you have to think of all these things that we can do um, to, to, to spread the workload and, and that also crosses over what we talked about with the tier system you know if the tier system didn't tell you what you need to do to, to, to get something else you know you'd have to ask someone and that relies on that person knowing the answer and it just creates this so you should see it across UNITAF and, and the same goes for that fatigue system is whatever system comes in there needs to be completely clear with you and it says well listen based off of your, your dossier this is your fatigue in this area and this this is what it means to you and this is how it's going to affect your slotting and whatever it may be so um 
just putting all the tools into everyone's hands so it's completely unambiguous and and it doesn't rely on you having to communicate with someone and um you'll you'll see that um wider thing you know the suggestions channel on discord is quite a a beast to maintain and so you'll see a focus on just um reducing the use of it through automation so you know we shouldn't be getting load out sop requests through there anymore because we've created features for it and we'll we'll continue down that path for basically anything that we see people make um make suggestions for so um th these are weird because they're not directly game affecting things but they actually have quite a, a huge impact on, on like how the organization functions um on a regular basis term that i, I kind of use and work and i've used ever since i've been in unitaf is, is this test and learn philosophy so for me like every every role i've taken so far in an operation has been like oh i'm going to try it out and just like see what i learn from it um, so you know, I've got six hours somewhere in, in AT just because I thought oh, I'll give it a go. Like it's something different, test and learn, you know, and, and go that way. And then I think the same thing with with with, with speaking to Zero about doing this and, and things like that. It's just you, know, you, you just try something out and learn it, and everybody kind of seems to have that opportunity to do it. Talking of testing and learning, I mean, we we try to work things out as much as we can before we sort of release them. But at one point, um, I can't remember the campaign name. Was it Ember? around ember 10 we couldn't decide if we wanted to put force push to talk on or not so we just did it for an operation oh uh, my word that was the quickest um reversal of a procedure change i think we've ever done um but you know sometimes you have to try these things like you're saying and um they don't work and then you can you can revert them but uh yeah it's all about you know where possible being flexible but not being too flexible as an organization that you know you don't know what the rules are on an orbit every week because they keep changing you know but there is an element of uh, persistency and um i think i said this last time we were in an induction once and one of the guys asked a question like um, what happens if you know i'm on an orbit for an op and then it gets cancelled and it really threw me because i couldn't quite understand what he meant and then i realized i just said i don't think we've ever cancelled an op we've certainly started a few ops late but you know, we UNITAF has a bit of a reputation. I'd like to think it's a good one, and we don't want to have a reputation for not doing what we say we're going to do. And I think that's quite important. So, um, having having high standards at the same time as as making sure it looks like we're improving, but not improving too much or changing too much, is is a really hard line to to balance. Got any questions in the chat, Zuka? Uh, none that I can see. No. What we should have done is is ban them from playing uh, that Vietnam DLC during the uh, <laughs> tough cast. <laughs> <laughs> when is Kevin going to give us our pizza? Important question. Precisely, all of the right questions being asked on on tough cast. Yeah, I think in the future, when the world perhaps returns uh, to normal. I love it. We might we might look at doing some sort of Unitaf meet somewhere, and uh, Kevin will have to foot the bill for the pizza. Yeah, it's it's not a bad idea. Um, you're probably around, I guess, sixty percent of the total forces it stands right now are Central Western Europe. Um, don't know about all the Americans and Canadians, but I'm sure Storm will fly out. Um, so that wouldn't be an issue. But yeah, we we we've talked a lot about doing stuff like that. Um. As well as merch and, and and stuff like that, which we've made a bit of progress on, but it's quite a difficult thing to get the price right. And you know, with such a 
global group you know it's very difficult but again if somebody wants to help with that you're welcome um these are all things that can be done Mm. Well, um, yeah, I, I, if no one has any questions, does it, do, do any, anyone who's in the chat currently? Um, I mean, if uh, James or Strange, if you want to bring anything up. I think... Um, go on, Strange. No, nothing for me, I was going to say. Yeah, I think it's been a good... Um, what, one of the things about Tavcast that we, we figured might be a good idea is making them slightly more narrow. Um, so I guess the theme for this one was... Uh, new 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 people experience and looking at it from a sort of recruit private perspective which is good um and for anyone that sort of listens to the replay gives it a bit of perspective i guess um but something we'll probably do is do them a bit more frequently so we we have asked and uh, i know strains were sort of one of them to to have people to support doing this a little bit more frequently so for example we might do a taff cast when the syrup comes out next week predominantly to explain a lot of the points in more detail which we've not really done here um, and if you've got a subject that you want to touch on or you think would be a good subject we talked about leadership last time um, then we can we can jump on and find all the right people to do it it's, I found it really useful last time um, doing it because it just there was a lot of questions that sort of maybe we not thought about or um, um, and it gives us an opportunity to give our uh, guest perspective on stuff that we really can't convey in a sit rep um, we, you know, we can't give the full backstory to everything, and it, it's a, it's a it's a great format to listen to, but also to um, to distribute information. And when the organisation gets bigger and bigger, as it has done, this is quite an effective way to communicate, um, if not just exactly what we're doing, why we're doing it, and why our priorities are the way they are. Um, but yeah, I think really just um, the main things to look forward to is the the SIRAP. Um, obviously next week uh, there's a couple of meetings that may impact on that so we don't know exactly what the outcome of that will be but then um, hopefully and we're open to ideas on this and we've thrown a few around already um, on, on June 16 will be the sort of second year anniversary of our first operation which so there's about eight people I think that will get their two year ribbon on that day um, Zero and myself included in sort of the first people that registered for, for UNITAF and attended that first op and interestingly, there's only one person in UNITAF, I think, that um, that's not currently active that was on our first ever operation, which is quite interesting, really. Um, and and uh, good good to see that there'll be a, a fair few. Um, but yeah, hopefully we'll do some quirky things, like some some unusual events, maybe some party game stuff, maybe some competitions. Um, and we've been talking about doing this uni uni Olympics or whatever whatever the name it's going to get. So there'll be there'll be some big ops to obviously celebrate, but there'll also be some stupid stuff I think just to get some social activity going. Um, probably make a week of it, I guess. Sorry, uh, one more question from the chat, and that would be collaborations with other units in PVE style missions. Yeah, uh, we've done it a bit in the past. Um, the 115 man op I talk about was was a collaboration. We, we were the largest unit there, um, but to get us over the line, because we we sort of statistically will only ever deploy half of our active size. Although it's been a bit more recently, um, because we've been able to deploy, we've, we've basically got more active people. Um, I guess the question at the, mo at the moment is why. 
um, when we were doing it in the past, you know, we could only muster 30, 30 people. So to do a platoon op with cavalry, we'd need to collaborate with another unit. I, I'd be willing to bet that if we did that now, the question we'd be getting is, well, why are we giving the cavalry slots to the three Jaeger company when we've got people that want to play cavalry slots or whatever? Um, the scale of ops we're at at the moment, 70 to my sort of best guess, without going full counterinsurgency and very slow, is probably the best experience you're going to get in large-scale operations with a lot of contacts. If we go counterinsurgency with higher play counts, sure. Um, I just don't know if it's something that we would um, benefit from um, long-term. We had in the past talked about doing like a, a system where we would give the unit access to our orbit system so they could slot their own people. But if you if you're able to fill every orbit of your of you know if we, we've already sort of spent I guess half an hour talking about how hard it is for somebody from unit after to get a slot, I'm not quite sure how they would think uh, our strategy or my decision making was if if we were giving those slots away to other units. I guess is my only um, is my only sort of initial thought on that. Although there is an element of um, in joint ops it, it's always great um, we've done a lot of work with the Three Jaeger Company uh, a German unit um, there is a nice dynamic to it where you've got another unit over there from a different nation and they speak you know slightly different language or whatever it's always nice to do I just don't know where it fits in the sort of long term plan when, when we have our own supply and demand issues I guess it's, it's the easiest answer to the question Yeah, it can be, it, it's one of those very difficult things, isn't it? Because on paper, it sounds like it would be quite interesting. Um, but it's very difficult to find a group that's going to fit well with us and we're going to fit well with them. Um, and like you say, doesn't fill a role that we can already fill ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think you'll notice it in operations, which is... For, for a brimstone and an eye shirt where they're relatively conventional with a lot of contact you'll probably see starting to notice I, I, it depends on the system that you have that we're starting to get to the limit of what's enjoyable from a performance perspective um, that can be abated by how the AO is, is set out so whether the AOs are quite close together or further apart I don't know what quite what the question implies, like whether that would be a 15-man orbat with another unit on it or whether that would be like a 30-man unit or whether that would be like a 70-man orbat of unit with a with 10 or 15 people from another. depends on, I guess, what, what's being suggested there. But the more players you have, the less AI you have to have and the, and the more spaced out there has to be. And so by the time you get to sort of 80, 90, 100, you're kind of left with counterinsurgency. Um, and it just becomes a, a very challenging thing. This question becomes com completely, or my answer to this question, sorry, becomes completely redundant when technology allows us. So at some point in the very not too distant future, we probably won't be using Armour 3. And this will be a mute point because the orbit sizes will be much greater. So I touched on this in the previous podcast, but say if you know the game changes and in five, ten years time we're using... Um, a game that allows 500 people at concurrently plus 5,000 AI, which is you know easily plausible, and the operations maybe are a lot longer. Maybe we will start to collaborate with other units. I suspect the community will become more clustered at that point. There's a lot of units at the moment because Armour, as a game, uh, has a has a sort of preference towards smaller missions. They work better. 
and okay yeah we're one one of probably a handful of very active large groups at the moment but when the game engines are bigger the groups that form around them will become bigger and hopefully we become hyper prepared for that um and then you know if we wanted to deploy 500 people maybe that's 150 people from unitaf and 150 people from you know some other group somewhere else but i would have thought to me that's a a future game future platform question rather than right now as, as things stand you know as we're as we are as big as we are i think we focus internally with the limitations that we have yeah absolutely um storm's got one oh but you're, you're in olympics uh i think he's saying saying can we have an internal pve tournament in different disciplines like sniping at or piloting or something else so this is an interesting question and i have to preface it with a with a disclaimer which is um <laughs> nothing i'm about to say is is uh, necessarily going to happen nor is it confirmed nor is it on the, on any uh, to-do list anyway so um well that's slightly a lie it is on it is on a to-do list somewhere but what i mean is the specifics of this have not been worked out or agreed so uh, don't please don't repeat it to anyone else um so in terms of when you say tournament so one of the things that i have talked to the guys about a fair bit is um for anyone that went to the school in the uk um most uk schools have a what's called a house system and um, they may have it in other countries around the world, but I'm, I'm not 100% familiar. And basically, you know, if you've got a thousand kids in a school, you know, they'll be in three groups of 300. It's very, very similar to one troop, two troop, three troop. Um, and that's what we have in UNITAF. We have a very non-competitive uh, division of uh, labour, essentially, to to manage the the administration. My point to the guys was, um, you know, we don't do necessarily PVP, and we're not going to. Put, put you know one troop versus two troop battle to the death but what we we may start looking at is um like you say a skills based thing where you know you can do a, a three person compound breach to a timer and then there'll be a leaderboard so you could gather your team whoever you want from your troop and and you could submit um you could do that with sniping you could do it with at you could do it with practically anything that's testable or timeable um and it's friendly competition and you know when i talk about the troops um, as a sort of, I okay, just a way to augment that. It could be that we do a um, a ongoing tally of like how how troops are performing against each other, and it's not anything that serious. It's just you know if you want to get involved with it, you can. Um, you know, it's a bit like the Olympics, I guess. You one troop can send their their best breaching team, two troop can send theirs, three troop can send theirs, and you can battle it out for the breaching cup or whatever. So we have put some thought into it. Um, we think it's a really nice thing to have. It's one of those things that's great. It's a new feature. It's like the campaign center. It, it would add some value to UNITAF, um, but it doesn't have an overarching impact on um, sort of day-to-day -day operations at the moment. And so it falls behind sort of high priority items like the fatigue system, like uh, whatever else it is we're working on. Um, but we've definitely put a lot of thought into it. And I think we're mostly agreed that to some extent, something like this would, would be good. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, w I wouldn't be surprised if it's something you see uh, in the future. When, uh, what is the next, um, the next special uh, thing? I'm trying to think where we are in the year. Um, in terms of like, um, 
campaigns. Yeah, like a spe- no, like a special event. You know, like uh, Halloween. And- oh, you mean yeah? Um, like what's the next one? Easter's gone, be? isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's not really anything now until. No, Halloween. we've got. We'll probably have Unitaf Olympics or Uni Olympics or TAF, okay, wherever yeah, the yeah. fuck it's going. And then after that, there'll be a, a Vietnam. Um, I'm not fully up to speed with the campaign team on Vietnam, but I think from my understanding, there's going to be a few more of the current NAM campaign. And then obviously, we'll start to work with the DLC that's just come out. Um, so there's that to look forward to. And we went, we went through a bit of a phase of World War Two ops recently, and obviously we'll we'll continue with those um, um, as well. And then specials wise, there's a lot of people asking for for specials for things like uh, um, I, I don't know the technical terms for what they are, but um, when you know when they're submitted, we'll we'll try and find a place in the calendar to fit them. But uh, just again, mindful that we don't. Um, we don't oversaturate um, the schedule with things that are not uh, primary primary focuses, but there's definitely uh, room for them at the moment due to um, just the sheer number of operations we're doing. Yeah, it might be a, a nice idea, perhaps for um, next month to have the guys who are um, planning to run the Vietnam campaign on the po- podcast. Maybe we, we focus on that as it's a new DLC and we can try and. Uh, Gain some interest in the group if it's something that we're going to be doing. Because it, yeah. it would be interesting to talk to them, see what they've got planned, and uh, get some questions and some uh, suggestions from from the people listening. Yeah, definitely. Um, just scanning the chat. Um, can we get some video lessons of different tiers from experienced members with a video explanation? What tiers? What tiers given like designate marksman? Joy with a DMR explaining how to be a proper DM. Um, it's a pretty interesting idea. It's on a list somewhere. I know that. Um, in Unitaf, we give you text SOP, we give you voice SOP or audio SOP, and now you want video SOP. <laughs> I, I always wait with that. I think there is an element of in Unitaf, we are a little bit spoiled. Um, um, we always go for more and more. I, I think it's a great idea. Um, this is, I guess, stuff that can be self-produced. Like, if anyone wants to go and make this sort of stuff, they can do, um, and we'll certainly add it. I think it's definitely got benefit. Like, I don't know from like Strange and Minaus's point of view if, if you know, <laughs> it might be a question, I guess, for Strange. Like, do, how much do, do do new people actually look at the SOP? I guess I could look in the database and find that out for myself. But I wonder how much they listen or or read SOP, and and whether they would um, engage with like a, a video video style. Uh, yeah, I think uh, probably engage really heavily with it, like because uh, you, you're excited and new to it, and you kind of never read it before. It's new content, and I, I, I listen to it from like doing random stuff in the house and stuff. I think one thing that uh, it would be really, really kind of exciting, and I think for, for newer people to really engage is more like video content on the the roles more than anything else. You know, someone talking about that role. Um, you get the kind of the basics on the on the role directory, but you, you could have someone physically explain what they do and things like that, and that that content would be amazing. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I guess it. Yeah, I mean, for anyone listening, if you want to make that sort of content, uh, by all means, and we'll basically add anything that augments SOP to SOP. Um, it just goes back to the age of thing, time, doesn't it? Where do you where do you put your time and? Uh, what's the payoff but I can see it being a benefit we have talked about it in the past without de- derailing the question too much about um, 
you know, our system at the moment, the tier system is an experience-based system. It's not a capability-based system. And we've talked about, and you'll see on the roadmap, um, capability-based systems. In terms of the the wider picture, it falls after the um, fatigue system and before the campaign system. And it's all about, you know, yes, it's important that you have experience in saying, but what's actually most important is that you're capable. And it, when we were having those discussions, we were talking about, you know, do we want someone to to grind the tier or do we want to give them the option of watching a video and then and then doing a test or a challenge or an exam now you don't have to do that and if that's you know something that you don't want to engage in you can just crack on with the tier system like normal but if that's something that you know you're into and you're not, you're happy to do then that can be a way to to uh, to get you to that point so um yeah it, it has its uses and i think um i think you know if if we ever have time or if people want to do that i think that would be be good it could also um, lend itself to um, non-in-game training as well, couldn't it? If you wanted to train some people in some stuff, um, and you can uh, do it on Discord and, and uh, stream stream those videos and, and go into a, a bit more in-depth uh, explanation to uh, what's going on there. There's a lot of um, chat about Armour 3, Armour 4, a bit further up. Um, honestly, unless there's something that we don't know about, um, going on at BIS uh, my gut feeling is that whatever we're playing next probably won't be armour and the reason I say that is um, unless BIS have got something sort of under their sleeves that they've not said anything about and it's going to be some sort of massive release there's some really promising projects coming out if you have a, do a bit of research for massive scale uh, battles that crosses the line into armor. So the, the big gap between it's like uh, I, I don't really play War Thunder, but these big games that you see that you know, have 100 players and whatnot. You know the difference is you know it, everything we do here we build. You know we build the missions, we design and execute everything, and that, that's obviously not what that is. There is a lot of sandbox military games that are attacking armor from the from that sort of open scale perspective, and I, and I really wouldn't be surprised if if a platform comes out in the next year or two that can support the sort of scale that I talked about, which is, you know, full continent warfare, probably persistent, with maps that are thousands of kilometres across that can support, you know, 200 players or whatever. I just don't think it's going to be a BIS thing. And I've said it before, the biggest threat to UNITAF is a new game. Um, because of, of if you imagine, you take the total force, you take 120 people. Um, you you can't simply transition from one game to another. It's a very difficult thing to do. That said, we did have a bit of foresight when we made Unitaf because that was one of the problems that happened between Armour Two and Armour Three. And our sort of approach is, well, we're not fixed orbit, and we can have two different games on the schedule. So there's no reason why in in that circumstance it kind of go back goes back to what Simon said about the longevity of Unitaf and how we secure it, its future, which is you know whenever that happens which is obviously going to happen at some point is you're going to see armor 3 and new game here missions on the schedule at the same time while we try and manage some sort of a a, a handover to it to a new platform so it'll be a really really difficult time but we're doing our best to set our our systems and processes up that it's going to be much less damaging to us than it will be for basically any other uh, group yeah, because I mean, it can be difficult. I remember in, in IGG, it was difficult enough going from Armour 2 to Armour 3, um, let alone a completely different uh, platform. Um, but no, I think it's quite possible that BIS might might do uh, 
around before, but considering they've they've said that, that that they haven't even started development in another title and that they're focusing on other projects, um, it seems like it's going to be quite a while off yet. Um, but if you if you do do some research in what they're doing um, outside of Armour, like they've got some pretty interesting stuff going on, almost like a, a Google Earth version of Armour where you can just pick a place on the planet and it and it will take you in in an, in an Armour style map. Something like that for Armour Four would be incredibly cool. Yeah, we could, literally, we could literally play anywhere on the planet. Yeah, I, I do. I, I remember the transition from Armour 2 to Armour 3, and I remember every person that had a supercomputer could actually cope with the way it was optimised. Um, and now you could run it on like a generic kind of first bought PC, and it works fine, no issue at all. Um, but then, like, you, you do look up projects, there's thing, you know, things like um, Unreal Wild and things that I've, I've seen recently and stuff that just look unreal, just completely open world almost to, you know, the whole like entire environment being like generated as you go yeah i think the i I, i've no doubt the is will bring out armor 4 i guess my point was um there will be an awkward situation i think where something is publicly released that we look at and we go you know what that's better than what we have now and if there's still no announcement from bis and we always talk about like do we do we make units have support dcs or whatever and I just suspect one of the things that we're doing sort of slightly in the background is recoding certain things to support multiple games so that at some point in the future um, we may end up seeing a release of a game that's not armour but it looks like it might be the future of what Unitaf was built for which is large scale regular operations with you know full military simulation or whatever and it may be that we start to to do some sort of a dual dual process because the chances are a fair majority of the active force will will see that and go you know what that's amazing my computer will support that and there will be some people that you know they can't but it's still or die it's it's one of the most difficult things about about this uh, about what we do um but it, it's it's exciting at the same time like i said the the what, what can be achieved you know when the technology is improved you know we're working with something that's been out for eight years you know um so we've had a lot of time to get used to it and when you move to something new it's it's prehistoric you know i remember when armor 3 came out and we didn't have ace and the acre team hadn't said anything about radio mods and you're all sat there going like what do we do yeah i it, yeah it it's a it's a real minefield i think when uh when you try and transition from from one platform to another but um yeah i, I mean i guess we'll We'll jump off that bridge when we get to it. Again, I have a question. Not jump off the bridge. But... <laughs> yeah. Go on, Zeke. Uh, from uh, Nico, with using different factions, for example, PMCs on Parable or Russians on Brimstone, stuff like that, to sort of see the other side of some campaigns, I guess. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, uh, general rule of thumb. Um, as long as we're on the same side of the campaign, it will work. Why? Because of um, the the past question from uh, Gendelorf, which is on the UNICEF website, there's a logistics centre with market and finances, has that concept with advantage that it continue to be developed, which I'll double back on. But because of that, and because of the sort of long-term plan for those sort of things, we can't realistically fight two sides of the same conflict because it'll come it'll be really awkward in, in the campaign system to be planning against yourself. 
Um, I'm sure it'd be interesting. It would just be quite awkward. Um, and end up with, I guess, some conflict between Fidelis when Zero comes knocking on my door and saying, oh, you blew up my FAB, why'd you do that? And I was like, well, because I'm playing the Russians, so sorry, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, as long as they're on the same side, I uh, don't see a massive issue with it. Um, in terms of like our playable factions, it's obviously now public information. You can see on the role centre, a lot of work goes into making new factions and the loadouts and setting it all up. So, you know, we try and get as much use out of those as possible. Um, which is why we have a sort of fixed limit to the current number of um, of campaigns that we run, uh, because from a server administration point of view, um, it really stream streamlines what we're doing. But um, as with any campaign, you know, put it forward as a proposal, and we'll always uh, always look at it. There's an element of getting used to the equipment as well. Part of I think the struggle, certainly for me personally, with Aish, is I'm just not used to the equipment. You know, when I'm leading on something like Brimstone, I know the equipment inside out. I know what the capabilities of the equipment are. I, I haven't got to that stage with with Eichnet yet, and so it's very difficult to me for me to make good decisions when I'm not necessarily fully up to date with um, the assets that we're deploying and what their capabilities are. Um, I said I'd double back on. Sorry, I'm what um, Gendelorf said. So the logistics centre, the markets and finances, um, it's you know it's quite crucial to what UNITAF is all about. But um, I guess the difficulty with things like logistics system and the campaign centre is they are beasts of, of of projects. So to give you an idea, our our sort of top level plans, and I, and I posted one in uh, in uh, Discord recently. I'm just going to see if I can find it um to post in in here is that once they're sort of complete to the extent that we want um you know they'll be sort of bigger than the entire current website as it stands right now so that makes it very difficult to try and um align that with things like the fatigue system so i guess the best way to explain it is um but the campaign center certainly comes before the the, the one you're talking about which is logistics and finances and what we're trying to do is get those done uh, but at the same time a lot of firefighting happens so at the moment as, as you've heard from from these guys you know the biggest priority for recruits and privates is how do they get slots so all of our development manpower is focusing on that problem and so to be releasing sort of I guess new features that don't impact on that we can't really reconcile that so these things keep getting pushed back in the roadmap because they're in essence looked at as nice to have as great as they are um but they are still in the sort of long-term plan and we do continue to chip away at them um i've posted a a mind map of some of the information you asked about uh but yeah some of the things you will see probably sooner than later is is vehicles on all bats um, so physical vehicle slots on all that, so it will tell you what the vehicle is that the slot is for, and um, eventually those vehicles will get profiles, and, and you can give them nicknames if you really want to or whatever, um, and we'll start tracking our vehicles that are getting destroyed and things like that, which will provide again nice stats for for profiles and things. Yeah, it's it's, it's like I say, it's such a massive uh, project. It's like a, it's like building a whole new UNICEF all over again. 
yeah but it would it will be it will be really interesting when it's in there because it will it will really add weight to to everything that that happens in a in a particular operation yeah and but i guess it will yeah no, I, was just, I was just going to say like um from a development point of view there's six items in the like currently being worked on there's 55 in the next column which is like the next priority and there's about 89 things in the backlog so you know if you look at the j10 changelog channel where you see those t numbers there's over 150 or 160 things backlogged and in there somewhere will be will be those things and um the thing is the priorities of those things are constantly changing and so uh you know sometimes you'll see us announce something and we'll say that that's a uh, high priority and then the, you know the next sit rep that comes around it's like sorry that's no longer high priority <laughs> um because you know unitask constantly changing um the needs of different members at different stages of joining is different and so we have to balance that as best we can but it is it is sort of at the core of the whole concept of like why we want to do it the whole point of unitaf and yeah maybe we've sided a little bit on this is you know we don't want to have a situation where we're in a chinook we fly from a to b the chinook crashes and then we spawn another one that's what we want to try and avoid so commercializing this uh, with finances and, and the sort of logistics and economy is the way to go it's just very hard to simulate without having the system in the first place because you know it's, it just takes man hours to then enforce it you know Cool. Uh, I think unless we get any last minute questions, like in the next twenty seconds, um, it's probably a good place to to wrap it up. Unless anybody has anything else to add, just to express our disappointment at Scape for for playing. Uh, I can't pronounce the DLC, but whatever they've been playing. It's just not good enough, Scape. <laughs> Admirable effort, though. Liberation not getting any love because they're because um, they're all all slightly controversial. Why don't we? Um, we were talking the other night about making lib harder by not letting them um, get into enemy vehicles by locking them with the ace keys feature. I wonder if. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I'll pray that one out there. Thanks for joining us. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it's crazy how, how how rapidly they um, they kill those maps. They. Yep. Well, yeah, at least with uh, what I've seen, at least the recycling rule, the sort of stopgap we've put in, is actually being followed to a degree. So that should at least slow us down a little bit. There is a slightly bigger map, and it's got water between some of the lands, so it should, in theory, be just a slightly little bit harder than uh, than the previous ones. Yeah, but I mean, if it, you know, if it becomes you know an issue for us that we're completing liberation too quickly, then there's you know there are other game modes out there there are other, other things that that we could be could be doing that that you know have persistence and give us the same level of um involvement and enjoyment but there are a lot more um uh, longer in terms of uh, time scale i suppose the other thing is that if um if the schedule the main unit task schedule continues to be as busy as it is i can't see many times where the uh, where the liberation server will actually have the chance to be online so uh, that'll slow them down. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Good. Cool. Yeah, I think we'll we'll wrap it up here. So there's no, nothing in stone set for for next month. Um, but 
yeah, I'm, uh, I will reach out for, to the guys who are, who are putting together the Vietnam stuff because I think there's there's probably going to be quite a bit of interest in that. So um, you can ex probably expect to uh, have that going on uh, on the next uh, podcast. Um, yeah, so I'll just thank uh, Zuka for modding for us tonight. Thanks, Strange, for for being uh, for uh, being a guest, and um, thanks everybody for for listening. And obviously, thank you, James. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining.